Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Turn with a copy of God's Word to John chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11, and this is the occurrence of the adulterous woman. And you would say, why in the world are you preaching about the adulterous woman on the first day of 2023. Well, I think it'll be apparent to you once uh, we go through this together. If you've got a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open to that. Uh, or you can look on your phone. Uh, if you have the Bible app, you can look on the events page and see the outline there. It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and he said, all right, but let the one of you who has never sinned throw the first stone. If you don't know what that means, it means that a a woman in that situation would have been stoned to death. So he is, all these men are sitting here getting ready to stone her. And they've got these, hand, these, these, these big rocks in their hands getting ready to throw them. And he says, okay, before you throw that, if you don't have any sin in your life, then you can throw it. But if you have sin, drop the stone. And as you see, they all did just that. They dropped the stone. Then in verse 8. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest only until Jesus was the only one left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the reading of your word. And may it permeate our hearts, Lord. And if there is one person here that is touched by this scripture, Lord, it will be by your spirit and your power and your might for your glory. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, today we find ourselves on the first Sunday of the new year. And there's something about the freshness of the first Sunday, isn't it? Many of you, including myself, have made resolutions or promises that we intend to keep with the best of our intentions. How many of y'all have made at least one resolution for this year? Anybody? Okay, good. Two of you have been honest about it. The rest of you have already lied. So you have already lost your first intention. Or uh, <laughs> intention, but your, your first, uh, whatever you call those things. But... For some people, it may go deeper than just stopping a bad habit or losing weight or getting healthier or starting a good habit. For some, it may go deeper. For some, it may be loving someone more, forgiving someone. Least of all, maybe even forgiving yourself. 
So the start over that we will be looking at today in today's Bible's passage is not one that requires you to order, uh, write down a, 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 li- a task list or a, a goal of re- or a sheet of resolutions. Today's start over is a spiritual one. It is not based on your ability to keep it. The start over that we're talking about is not based on what you can do to, I mean I'm going to do this, I, I resolve I'm going to do this. But you know, just as well as I do many times, they don't last that long. Some of them, and some of y'all, y'all have done great with these resolutions. But when we try to do things in our own strength, sometimes we fail. This start over is not dependent on your ability to keep it. This start over is dependent solely upon the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed to forgive you of your sins. The commitment to forgive you of your sins in order to have the start over you desperately need. Either for the first time or the next time, we find this and more in the account of the adulterous woman. And as we we look at this passage, Jesus was unapologetically preaching in the temple. He went to the middle. It would be like he came into the middle of this church service. And there's all these people that thought that they were smarter than him, that they were talking and expounding and, and, and just, you know, those people that like to hear themselves talk. That's what they were doing. And they were puffing themselves up. And then here comes Jesus in, and he's teaching in their home field advantage, so to speak, and so they wanted it, they wanted Jesus to look bad. They wanted to set him up. They wanted to ask him a question that would make him look bad in front of all these people that were into what he was saying. So then they bring in the trap. So what we see in verses one through three, the religious and the proud have no problem using your pain for their gain. The religious and the proud have no problem using your pain For their gain. I'll never forget, there was a bumper sticker someone told me about one time that said, Lord, please save me from your people. Now, I don't know exactly what that meant, but I'm probably thinking that somebody has been hurt in a church. Thinking somebody has been hurt by another believer. And unfortunately, that is the case. Whether you are in ministry or whether you are just a part of the regular congregation, every church has problems because every church has people. And all people are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. But maybe some of you have been caught in the middle of something. Maybe some of you have been made to feel less than, whether it be in the church or out of the church. But again, we see this woman was was caught in adultery. And, and the Pharisees, they showed tremendous disregard for him because Jesus was teaching You don't interrupt somebody when they're teaching. That would be like somebody coming up while in the middle of my sermon. And if you've got something to say, we'll work it out. But that would be like somebody saying, Preacher, stop a minute. I don't want to say something. That would be kind of rude, wouldn't it? i got some ushers that will work on you if you do that. That was a joke in my mind. But the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus was back again teaching in the temple just the night before the Jewish leaders were arguing about whether or not Jesus was truly the Messiah. Matter of fact, one of their own men, Nicodemus, believed in what Jesus was saying, so they tried to discount what he said and tried to embarrass him. So everyone had gone home, and not one person invited Jesus 
into their home that night. So the crowd, they were still hanging around. They were still searching for answers. Because the laws that they had been raised to believe, the the Ten Commandments and all these things that you must do for God to love you, they were now hearing a new message saying that it's not about all the laws you keep, but it's about the grace from which God has given you Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to forgive you when you fall short. You don't earn eternal life by keeping all the laws. Just think about this. What if your eternal life was based on whether you kept all of your resolutions or not? There wouldn't be a chance for a one of us. You don't have to be perfect today, my friend. You don't have to keep the letter of the law. You have to depend on Jesus. So interruptions occur at the most inopportune times. The religious leaders, they showed extreme pride and insensitivity by interrupting Jesus. Because it says, as he was teaching, they brought this woman. Now, this woman, you know, she had a name. We don't know what her name was. But we know that there are a lot of people that can identify her just because you're not a woman and just because you're not an adulterer doesn't mean that you can't identify with someone that is being put in front of everybody else and being judged. You may be the adulterous person. You may be the woman. You may be the man. And you can read more into this. But all of us, if you want to boil it down to the brass taxes, all of us, are spiritually depleted and need Jesus just like this woman. And this woman, these religious people didn't care about her. They didn't know her name. She was just a pawn to try to trap Jesus. When reading this this, um, account, there is one question everybody should ask, and they didn't. There is one question that everybody should ask, And they didn't. Anybody know what that question is? I'll give you a hint. You ever heard of the saying, it takes two to tango? Where's the man? She was caught in the act with another man. So that means, A, they disregarded the man's sin. They were ready to kill this woman. And the man, they got to pass it. It is very likely that the man was somebody that the religious leaders knew. They knew that he would be with her. They knew what they were doing. They knew when the best time to come in to get him would be. And then they hauled her out in front of Jesus. It was a trap. You see, the law required from Deuteronomy and Leviticus, it required that both parties, the man and the woman, to be judged. And if they were judged and they were found to be violating that law of adultery, they were to be killed. Thank goodness that's not a law today, right? The trap was set. If Jesus opposed the stoning of her, he would be opposing the law that Moses said in Deuteronomy. But if he advocated for her and said, don't stone her, he would have had trouble with the Romans because the Jews were not allowed to make their own rules. So they thought they had the perfect trap for Jesus. Well, the thing is, is that we must own our part in our need for a start over. You may be here today and you don't even think you need to start over. Maybe somewhere in these scriptures, God's going to pick your heart and say, I'm calling you 
to start over. You may not even know it right now, but the adulterous woman, her choices and actions placed her in the position to be used. I don't want you to think that this woman was innocent. I don't want you to think that just because this was part of a trap, she didn't have to answer for her own sins. If she was not in that situation doing those things, she would not have been even used. It would have been somebody else. Because sin always makes us vulnerable to evil people in powers. Let me say that again. Sin always makes us vulnerable to evil people in powers. You could be a Christian and you could have the best intentions in your life, but there is a sin. There is a carnality about you to where you can't shake these physical things. You can't shake these addictions. You can't shake these thoughts. You can't shake these things that take even right now you're thinking about them. And, and, and they're kind of putting a wall up from what I'm saying right now. But understand, if we are in evil things, we have... We have a, a greater chance to be used by evil people. They put her in front of the crowd, the New Living Translation says. The description of that scene, they wanted to make this as public as possible and embarrass both the woman and Jesus. I don't want to be crass here. But I do think that we need to, to be biblically accurate. We need to paint the picture and I will not get too too vivid, but you can let your imagination go. They were caught in the act. She probably wasn't wearing her Sunday best, if anything at all. She was shameful. She was being used. She knew that the man was with her. But yet here she was in front of this crowd of people. Pious men that wanted to stone her and kill her naked in the middle of this shameful experience. The only person that she had in her corner in that moment was Jesus. Yes, her clothes, if she was wearing any, were in disarray. Her head was uncovered, which back in that day, even today in the Middle East, women keep their head covered. So it was an act, it was a, a sign of shame that her hair was showing, that her head was uncovered. And it says that in the middle of the temple church, the adulterous woman was brought in front of Jesus. Here's the thing I don't get. All of these righteous, pious Pharisees that were so concerned about the purity of worshiping God and keeping all the laws, if they were so concerned about that, why did they bring a naked, adulterous woman into the middle of the temple? They were trying to trap Jesus, and they were willing to make whatever concessions they needed to make to make that trap. What would take place next is world-changing. It says in verses in 4 through 9, we see that everyone needs to start over. And this is the crux of our time today. First, as a, a kind of cross-reference, I can't go any further without saying Romans 3.23. I've alluded to it before. But for everyone to sin and fall short of the glorious standard. I don't read this passage and judge this adulterous woman. I don't judge people that are in the middle of the sin. I know that they are hurting and they are captive. Yes, they have their choice. 
Yes, they've put themselves there, but they are also valued by God and valued by Jesus. So if you want to get on your high horse and think that you're better than someone else because they're doing a sin that you don't agree with that's in the Bible, that's okay. Maybe these bad things that we're seeing in our culture are terrible, but what about the ones that you're keeping? The harboring hate, the lying, the gossip, all of these other things that we look past. We all, if we want to be honest with ourselves, can identify with the adulterous woman. Don't you think, don't you sit there and think about how bad she is? She knows that she's in the bad place. Don't think that, woo, that never would be me. I've learned a long time ago, never say never in life. Well, I, my main point for there was that we all fall short of God's glorious standard. It's not a one-time thing. Folks, when you get saved, you are saved by the blood of the Lamb, but you still, as Paul says, have to wrestle with your sinful nature. It says in verses 4 and 5 again, look at, look at that. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says, stone her. What do you say? I mean, they had the biggest smug look on their face. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. I'm telling you, I don't know what he wrote, but I cannot wait to ask him. He might have wrote... Where's the man? Or better yet, he might have started writing their names and arrows pointing to them saying, look, who knew this woman? (laughs) How did y'all make this connection? We don't know what he wrote. But again, the adulterous woman was guilty as charged. The rebellious leaders broke their own laws by not presenting the offending man. Both were to be sentenced to death. The religious leaders brought this woman to Jesus, filled with shame and humiliated, and she was held against her will, a prisoner under the custody of the religious police who caught her involved with the man, not her husband, in the very act of adultery. I cannot imagine the civil rights group that would have gotten behind this woman. There was a hashtag in the making with this woman. Commentators Morris and Boyce say that um, they point out that legally speaking, the standard evidence was very high for this crime. There had to be two witnesses and they had to agree perfectly. They had to see the sexual act take place. It wasn't enough to see the pair leaving the same room together or even lying in the bed together. They actually had to be, you know. So this is not a hearsay. This is not like when you're in high school or middle school. Oh, did you hear about so-and-so? No, they were busted in the act, red-handed. Witnesses. Under these conditions, the obtaining of this evidence and adultery would have been impossible unless it was a setup. Verse 6 says they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote with his finger in the sand. The religious leader thought their trap had worked. They had used this woman to trap Jesus. They presented her as a sinner before Jesus, but in that they ignored their own sin. And there was no backpedaling for Jesus. Rules are rules. So Jesus responds by writing in the sand. There's several movies that depict this scene, and they run through my mind every time I read it. The Bible does not specifically exactly say what Jesus wrote. But as I said, I can't wait to ask him. 
Did you know this is the only record in the entire Bible we have of Jesus writing anything? Just as the Ten Commandments had been inscribed by the finger of God, as you look at Exodus 31, 18, the Ten Commandments, it says, as they were inscribed, the tablets were carved by God's hand. Here we have God through His Son, Jesus Christ, writing in the sand. He placed His hand on the earth floor of the temple and began to teach with His actions. What did Jesus write? Maybe Jesus wrote all the laws that the men were breaking. Maybe he wrote, where is the man? Maybe Jesus wrote the name of the woman that the Pharisee had committed the same act with earlier. We don't know, but whatever he wrote, it got their attention. So don't be so quick to point out what the Bible says about the sins of others while disregarding your own. Burn that in your brain. Don't be so quick to point out what the Bible says about the sins of others while disregarding your own. I'm not saying that we don't need to have convictions about sin. I am not saying that we don't need to love people and tell them the truth about what Scripture says, but don't look past your sins to point out somebody else's. That's called hypocrisy. And we will be judged according to the way that we judge other people. In verses 7 through 9, they kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. They stooped down again, And wrote in the dust, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until the Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Folks, the requirement for being the judge of another person is being without sin. And if you are without sin, go ahead and judge. But there is none of you in here today that is without sin. Your pastor is not without sin. Everyone watching by way of video is not Without sin. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so the Jewish leaders had no intention of stoning the woman, but they wanted to see what Jesus would say. Jesus is teaching us something here, folks. He's teaching us that embracing our own status as a sinful person in need of grace will motivate us to help others rather than hurt them. I'm going to meddle just for a minute, and it's not in my notes, but I'm going to say it anyway. There are a lot of Christian brothers and sisters that are all about picketing, holding signs up, shouting at people and telling them where they're wrong. What if they spend as much time worried about their sin and getting that right and then putting themselves in a place where they can share and love the truth of the gospel? I didn't see anywhere in this passage where Jesus held up a sign. I didn't see anywhere in here where Jesus judged her. I didn't see anywhere where Jesus quoted the law of all the things that she has broke. Jesus is teaching us that we need to embrace our own sin greater than pointing out those of others. And what we see here is that religion runs at the appearance of grace. Instead of Jesus passing judgment on the woman, he turned the tables and passed the judgment on those who were judging her. The holier-than-thou religious leaders, they scurried away like cockroaches, like the hypocrites that they were, because they could not reconcile that their self-proclaimed system of the law could not save them from their own sins. What Jesus said to them, by those of you without sin, cast the first stone, 
He transported them to where they became the adulterous woman. They were the ones on trial. They were the ones being judged. And they realized that there was no difference between them and the woman they were using to trap Jesus. The only one, the only one in the entire universe that could have thrown a stone that day was Jesus. But instead of extending his arm and throwing a stone, he extended out his arm and gave this woman grace. Then we see that Jesus extends grace to you to start over. Look at verses 8 through 10 in just a moment. Jesus' offer of grace shifts to the adulterous woman. The bait that the Pharisees used to trap him now gets the greatest blessing of them all. Folks, just on a personal reflection here, I am so moved by the scripture. The woman who had been used and abused by so many men was now in front of God, her creator. For the first time, she looked into the eyes of a man did not did not want to use her. For the first time, she looked into the eyes of a man that extended grace to her. For the first time, she looked into the eyes of a man that did not judge her and see her outward appearance, but saw her soul. And my friend, when you look at Jesus, that is what you see. When you look into the eyes of Jesus through His Scripture and by the Holy Spirit, you will see Him for who He is as He extends out grace. Her worst, most shameful day would become her day of freedom. Her day to start over. Look at it says, verse 10. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Where did they go? Didn't even one of them condemn you? The only thing she says is, No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. And everybody stops here. Nobody goes to the last part. Everybody wants to say, oh, see, Jesus is so full of grace. He just accepted her as she is. And and he loves her. And it's okay for her to be. She can just go ahead and continue to be an adulterous woman. Because he loves her and he gave her grace. God loves everybody. They don't finish the verse where he says, now go and sin No more. The adulterous woman was guilty. The religious leaders were correct. Jesus does not contradict Moses' law, nor does he ignore it. The purpose of the law in the Bible was always, and has always been, to show us where we have gone wrong in order to correct our actions. So if you willfully break the law, you will be punished. This is why our world is going nuts today, folks. It's because nobody is keeping the law. The law is being thrown out. The Constitution is being shredded. But Warren Wiersbe has a great quote where he talks about Jesus bridging the law and grace with the cross. He says, for Jesus to forgive this woman meant that he had to one day die for her sins. Forgiveness is free, but he is not, it is not cheap. Forgiveness is free. But it is not cheap. Warren Wearsby. Let's talk about the go and sin no more before we wrap up today. Tony Evans said that notice that Jesus demonstrated grace and mercy to the woman by removing her condemnation before he told her to start living right. 
He did not say, hey, I wish you the best of luck. You need to clean yourself up. Then come back to me. And then we can have a discussion about getting forgiveness for you. No, that's not the way Jesus works. Some of you out there would say, well, you know what? I'm just not in a place to really give my life to Jesus now. I'm so dirty. I'm not worthy of that. Bull loney. You are putting off the inevitable. You want to stay in your sin and still have the blessings of Jesus. But Jesus extends his grace first to this woman and then says, go make a life change. Not only does he say, hey, best of luck to you. He says, I'm with you. I forgive you. You have got a clean slate. You can start start over. So a true understanding of grace and mercy does not endorse or promote sin. Rather, it is designed to produce gratitude and holiness. My friends, I say with all the love in the world, if you think you can remain in unrepentant, unconfessed sin, that the Bible calls sin, sin is sin, black and white, red, however you want to call it, if you are involved in that, and if I am involved in that, and we try to live our lives as a Christian but never do anything with that, and we just say, I'm okay except for this one thing, that's the one thing that Jesus has a problem with. Look, it, it blows my mind that people can think that just because a law passer passes a law on what morality is, that it trumps God's word. Now, I'm not going on a rampage here, but I'm just telling you this. It doesn't matter what our laws say of what right and wrong is. You can celebrate it. You can celebrate sin. You can say that God loves everybody, but this is proof that when God saves us, he, told, he tells us to repent, to turn from our sins, go and sin no more, because his desire is not for us to be happy. His desire is for us to be holy and set apart for him. It's important to note, Jesus loved this woman. He loved this woman so much that he died for her sins. I wonder if her face was flashing before his eyes as he was on the cross and people were chanting at him. I wonder if your face went in front of his eyes. I wonder if mine came to his mind. Don't mistake the grace of Jesus. Don't mistake the grace of Jesus to be acceptable of whatever sin that you're in. So, as we wrap up today, Jesus offers us the grace to start over, to not stay in our sin. No one has ever found salvation by keeping the laws of the Old Testament. The law's purpose is to condemn us to death so that we can be cleansed by God's grace. There must be a conviction before there is conversion. I mean, look at it this way. I know that in our family we've had to deal with it. Some of you families have had to deal with this. You, you go to the doctor's appointment. They find something that's concerning. So they say, we're going to have to run some tests. And they put you under this huge machine or whatever they do. And then they scan you or they ultrasound you or they whatever they need to do to you. And they go in deep and they find exactly what that is. And then they say, there it is. We need to remove it. This is God's MRI right here. When we read it, God reveals to us what we need to get out of our lives. And it's up to us 
to go in sin no more. The only person on earth, again, to qualify to condemn this woman and, give, and shame her is the only one that didn't. The only one that could have judged her offered her grace. So for what may have been the first time in her life, she stopped condemning herself. You know, I am sure in heaven, she's not known as the adulterous woman anymore. But the scars of shame need not be permanent. Christ desires for us to meet us in those dark corners and to redeem our dignity and our worth. His grace is greater than our shame. I've had to wear shame. You've had to wear shame. And it doesn't matter how heavy that comes upon your heart. You may be feeling it right now. But for as heavy as that shame is, Jesus' grace is greater. So much so that He died on the cross so that you would not have to be enslaved by that shame. That's what Jesus does for us. He doesn't come to condemn us. He comes to save us. When we experience His salvation, our gratitude makes us to want to go and sin no more. So start over today. Don't be like the Pharisees who felt justified by their own pious, misguided actions. Get the start over that Jesus did for you here today. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you so much for this message. And Lord, uh, as we read this passage, Lord, I can identify with, at some points, I can identify with the woman. At other points, I can identify with the religious leaders. And so, dear Heavenly Father, I just pray right now, that there is someone that needs to start over with you. That, that today could be the day, whether it be for the first time to accept you as their Savior and Lord, or maybe they just want to rededicate, maybe they just want to bow before you and confess and receive that grace that you have waiting on them, that you died to give them. They don't have to live in shame anymore. Today could be the day. If they want to come down front, we can pray. Someone wants to join this church or accept you as their Savior and Lord. We will celebrate that today. What a way to start 2023, then with a conversion or someone that has lost and imprisoned by shame to now come before the Lord and be free in 2023. Maybe there's just somebody there that, that they want to talk with someone, me or somebody else, at some other time they want to nail this down. Do not let whatever you're throwing in their hearts, Lord, fall on hard soil. If there is a decision to be made today, may they make it. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?